Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. It's really good to be back. We didn't do uh, any recording last week because of Thanksgiving. Right. And uh, I missed hanging out with you guys. I missed hanging out with Jake. I did like the re-release, though, of our interview with uh, Manu and Maria. Yes, that was one of my favorite episodes. I went back through and um, turns out we have uh, either this episode or our next episode, I think, is our 250th episode. 250. And for all you Spotify listeners out there, I noticed that um, there's only 150 episodes there, apparently. Oh, interesting. Because we had the file format messed up a long time ago before Spotify was even a thing with podcasts. Right. Right. Because we've been doing this for like four years now. And we have to re-upload all those. So everybody that's on Spotify is going to have like 100 new episodes (laughs) to listen to as soon as I get around to that. So thanks to everybody from from Spotify that was reposting. I really appreciate that. It was good to see all the people that I think one guy listened to uh, 18 episodes. I saw that. How do you do that? He said he was on a road trip. Which I don't understand because he drives a Tesla, so I, I don't really I, I, don't, I don't really know what's going on with that as Mister Flash. So um, oh appreciate yes, it. that's that's the number one. That's our number one listener there. Eighteen episodes in one day in a day. Thank that's you a very lot. much. Um, do you have anything going on? What's what's up with you? I do. Yes. Yeah. So I have a couple projects I've been doing. First thing is since I'm I've been stuck at home working remotely for my day job for the past, like, what, eight months now? Right. And I finally, like... Did you know that the only other person I've seen since I did the podcast with you is you? <laughs> Two weeks ago? I've so you have literally a, not I've, seen a soul. No, I've... I've li- have barely left my house. I'm like, wow, it's it's really nice outside. Yeah, it's there just, there are things outside. Things, there are outside things. It smells so nice out here. Yeah, well, we've been uh, both very responsible then with self quarantining. I guess. I guess so. Um, I I'm not by proxy with my wife though. Seeing so many people she sees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But regardless, no. So I since I've been sitting in my office staring at walls. You know, when I'm at work, working at home, at yep. work. That that phrase doesn't mean anything anymore, at work. No. It's, when I'm it's working no, from home. You're you're at the office. Because I, I'm like in my office when I'm at work, right. at home. I'm in my office. Okay. Which ironically, I play video games there too. So I guess it doesn't really work. But <laughs> so whatever. I had this old motorcycle just sitting down in my basement. And I thought, what is it? What's this motorcycle? This is a 1967 Honda CB160. Why is the it 160 just- Dream. Why is it, it just called. sitting in your basement? Why aren't you bombing because around Because I got it for $50 from a guy cleaning out his barn, a friend okay. of my dad's, and it came with the title. It came with an extra engine. It came with all these spare parts and everything else. This is not answering my question of why isn't this I don't know, because around. I haven't gotten These are it. all reasons why it should be, not reasons why it should not <laughs> I know. be. It's not running because it has an extra engine and a title and everything. And it's need. ready to go, yeah, basically. it was a great deal. It was all $50. Good. Yeah, but. great deal. I don't know. It's just been sitting down there because it hasn't been a priority for me. It was like a cool thing that I sometime we'll get to right but i was like in the meantime wouldn't it be cool to have that as my backdrop for all my like video calls and zoom meetings and everything else are you is it behind you yes so everybody's everyone sees it you're such a jerk yep. <laughs> so it's sitting right behind me and i was like but it'd be really cool to have some sort of rustic contrast right so i wanted to do a pallet wood like really rustic wood so you have a pallet let me get this clear yeah you live in suburbia yes which is full of outdoor malls, strip malls, yeah. all this. I mean, it is suburban, like white dude. I mean, it is. It is. There is quiz. diversity in Woodbury, no. Chris. Right. Okay. So, but in this, and, and it's a very suburban house. Yeah. So you put rustic wood. Yeah. In this suburban, suburban house. It's an accent wall, Chris. It's fine. Yes. It's yes. an accent wall. Yeah, I'm sure it goes very well with a top of paint that's probably elsewhere in the 
in the in the room. It's, it's pronounced taupe. You realize? Oh, my, my bad, my bad. Continue. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, I put this cool uh, pallet wood wall in, and then the motorcycle, and then I was like, oh, it's so really you cool the, to have some. What did you do with the wood? Up. Did you just did you paint it, or did you just bolt it? No, up it's, raw. it's raw. It's okay. raw. It's raw. It's dirty. Old oh, it's so it's old pallets. Yeah. So I was first of all, I had a couple pallets from big deliveries I've gotten did lately. Did you take them apart? Because and so sucks. I started to take them apart, and that is the worst job in the world. It is awful. You can't prime apart because they basically start to like splinter and shatter apart. So then I got my reciprocating saw out and it just takes forever. And so Nikki's like, I think you can probably buy just pallet wood. And I was like, you're probably right. So I like on Home Depot, it's super expensive because it's dumb. Right. But then I go on Craigslist and there's a guy, he's like a logistics shipping company. How long did it take you to find this idea on Pinterest? This was my idea. I did not Pinterest any of this. <laughs> this is very. Oh, Pinterest. this is very Pinteresty. Yeah. This is. It's like shabby chic, Chris. Oh, it's shabby time. chic. Big time. So I go on Craigslist and I see this guy. He's like a logistics trucking guy, and he has all these spare pallets. And he goes, "Yeah, in my spare time, then we have a giant six foot bandsaw, and we can run through both sides of the pallet in one swipe, and we can do a full pallet, break it down in five seconds, and oh. we just keep lining them up, break it down." He goes, "I'll give you a." 100 square feet for 100 bucks of pallet wood, and I'll deliver it. Okay. I was like, sweet. And this wall, I did the math. It should be 60 square feet. So I get all this pallet wood. I get it. It was kind of fun putting it all up. And I look out in my garage. I have like three times as much pallet wood still sitting there as I used. He probably was just. He, he probably gave he me like the hell 200 out of it. some square yeah, feet of pallet wood. Of so I better look on Pinterest on what to do with the yeah, rest of Yeah, you can do all kinds of things, I'm sure. I'll be so crafty, Chris. So crafty. Do a wall in your garage. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Well, here's the problem, though. Is now you have this cool motorcycle sitting in your basement. You lit it nicely. Looks great. So, yeah, lighting. with all the... The coolest thing about this rustic pallet wood is it's all different depths. Yeah. It's and got, so it's I put some it. up lighting as well. Right. So it has all the Did you put shadows. a light in the headlight of the... And room? I rewired the headlight to work in AC. And it's all in a dimmer switch this is, hardwired. This is a ridiculous amount of time you put into yeah, this. It's this awesome. This is hours it's and so hours. so cool hours. looking. And, so but, you can dim on the lights and the headlight comes on and on the backlighting. It's pretty and cool. you have a motorcycle that could run and be a lot of fun. Well, I figure instead, I can rebuild it. in it the, on Zoom. <laughs> and I can rebuild it in between Zoom calls. Do you sit to the side so people <laughs> yes, can I see do. it? You do, I don't you? I 100% do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So right after I finished that project, my new garage uh, lift or hoist came in the mail, which was... Uh, job in itself yeah you sent me a picture and you're like chris there's a thousand pounds at the end of my driveway because i live on mount everest you as do. you put it my Your driveway, driveway is, is extremely it's steep. probably a 30 degree pitch. i was talking to the previous owner and he goes yeah we we tried to actually fight it with the builder because it's outside of some sort of specification that's required for driveways right and he's like but they didn't whatever they took some money off the house so it's like it's actually out of spec why didn't they just set the house farther back because that's all graded know. anyway yeah, I mean, I, that's not. Why do I don't you, know. I don't know. It's really dumb. Yeah, it's very steep, but I, <laughs> I'm fine. I've lowered cars and I can manage it. Okay. Um, but regardless, I it came via FedEx and it was on a lift gate truck. If you're familiar, where it has the big hydraulic basically gate that goes down. Yep. And I was like, maybe I can ask the guy to back up the driveway with the lift gate truck because I'm assuming it's going to be just a regular box truck with a lift gate. Yep. And then I get a call from the driver. Hey, I'm 10 minutes out. I was like, cool. I'll be out there. A semi pulls up. Uh-huh. It's like, well, he is not backing up my no, driveway no, with a not. semi. So he gets the pallet jack, puts it down on the lift gate, and he goes, yep, there you go. <laughs> I was like, Damn it. <laughs> 
So, so the first thing I said, you sent me a picture of it. Yeah. And I said, well, I guess that's what the McCon is for. Yep. And, and I didn't really think I was going to do that, but then I did. You didn't really have much of a choice. I My plan was, is I was going to basically just disassemble everything, yep. unpack everything. Still, and all that's the components. some really heavy stuff. Yeah, because each of the uprights is like 300 pounds. And so basically I got to that point where I unloaded some of it and I was like, there's no way I'm getting these so, uprights. So these uprights, basically, how did you figure out what the thickness of the slab in your garage is? I did. It's six inches. Is that enough? Yes. Okay. So is that minimum, the minimum? is four inch. Okay. So you got six inches. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I mean, six inches is always better than four. It's just better oh, for everyone involved. Yeah. So was there I like a stencil it. that you like <laughs> you glue to the ground so you can drill all the holes in the right well, spot? Well, I, I moved the post in place and then I basically drew all around it. And drew the holes and drew all that. Then how did you manage to screw it up? <laughs> you did screw it up. You're getting out of yourself. First of all, to get it up from the end of the driveway, I just took a big toe strap and hooked it up at the Macan and just drove it right up. Yep. And it was struggling. Really? Kind of. Well, well not think a, about okay. the coefficient yeah. of friction. Right. It's not, not like only is it a thousand pounds, but it's a thousand pounds not on, on a pallet getting dr drug up a 35% incline. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. But luckily, I got it up enough, unpacked everything, and then I... First of all, some assembly required. Like I'm a sure. lot of assembly well, yeah, came required. In a little box. Yes. So I get to the point though where I can actually mount it into the concrete. And they give you these big anchors. They're seven eighths of an inch. So you need to drill seven eighth inch holes in concrete, six inches deep, times ten. Yeah. With a hammer drill. With a hammer drill. And I sent you a video of me doing that. Yeah, you were sitting on it in your sandals. I, I and the first thing I said that. is put some sand, put some actual shoes. I on did put shoes on while you're that. using power tools. Yeah, I did put Dummy. actual boots Good on grief. after that. Um, but I, I am very experienced with a hammer drill because <laughs> well, I was back in high school. Probably my dad and I we were building this garage up at the cabin and did it all ourselves. And so after we pour the slab then you have to basically put in anchors to anchor the 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 framing the base plate of the framing right Correct. yeah and that's usually a much smaller did you use uh, anchor screws or did you actually use a hammer drill and drill hammer it drill and then bolts times probably 40 and he yeah. basically just gave that. me that and said go it sucks. So I did all of that. So I'm very practiced yeah. with this. That took forever, I'm sure. But it was not seven-eighths of an inch. So anyways, yes, I moved the upright over there. I drew the stencil around everything where and all the holes should go. Of course, you used a smaller bit first and then moved yes. up to the other. I stepped it up, I think, two or three times, okay. actually. Um, but during all that, it's just there's so much violence hammer drilling that big of a hole that it basically just walked itself out of where it needs to be an eighth inch. Right. So what I'm going to do, because I didn't realize that I didn't test fit it over the bare holes. I put the anchors in and then moved the column over to see how everything lined up. And one is, like I said, about an eighth inch out. Right. So I'm basically going to have to, my plan is to grind that base plate a bit. All I need to do is oblong one of the holes an eighth inch. Uh, That's kind of my only option. I, or you could drill a whole new hole in the base plate. Which is basically what I'm doing, but this way I'm only moving it an eighth inch. I guess. Plus, you've already got the hole there. I guess that's probably fine, as long as it's the, on the right side of the hole. Because you don't want it Right, it's the, not going towards the edge. Right. Yeah, so that makes sense. So, yeah, that's been, uh, that's been my work that I've been up to. I'm really torn on what I'm supposed to do with this TDI swap. Okay, so this is your grandfather's Volkswagen Caddy. Pickup. Right. Can you can you fix this picture too? That's right below. It's all messed up. I won't be able to read it. There's another thing I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm really torn with this TDI swap. I I look at. It, I've got the motor there. I've got the truck there. 
and I'm probably going to pull the motor out within the next couple of weeks. And I come from the place where, you know, I started getting into Volkswagens when this TDI motor was just kind of around like 20, 20 something years ago when people were first starting to do engine swaps and stuff like that. And you had to make everything, right? right. You couldn't just bolt anything together. You had to make all the things. So back then you had to think about making motor mounts, making exhaust, making downpipes, making radiators, everything, turbo right. there inlet, weren't just turbo inlet pipes, everything bolt was- Bolt-on kits. There was none, nothing. And this stuff was hard. You had to do the, redo the wiring harness. You actually had to look at, nobody had done any of this stuff before. So you had Mark IV wiring diagrams that you had to go through with different relays for the ECU, for the key, immobilizer. Oh yeah, none of the immobilizer the, stuff would work. So you'd no, always no. have to have the dash. So you'd actually shove the cluster up underneath the dash. Yeah. And then use the key. So that the the cluster and the key and the ECU all oh, had to go together. Thought it was still so in just, the old car. So I had uh, for this engine swap. I have the key. I have the instrument cluster. I have right. the ignition switch. I have the wiring harness because this is something I was going to do twenty years ago. Oh, this, this motor has been sitting around. I didn't realize mine this. for twenty years. I've meanwhile been, things have advanced. <laughs> <laughs> and I go okay. You go online now and you can go to like Eurowise and S&P and then there's like this German place and they, everybody makes mounts. They make radiators. They make oh, downpipes. Right. They make inlet pipes. So it's they make like EGR deletes. They make, you can send them your wiring harness and it'll come back all dialed in for you. Sure. So do I. <laughs> do you do it the hack 20 year or old I way? I would say it's hack. The, the thing I don't really want to do. The more do, difficult but cheaper way. The more difficult, much cheaper. Like right. If, if I kind of get the motor in there and uh weld up your weld own up, like get paper cardboard and kind of like yep, figure make out little the templates and make templates and you know cut stuff out of steel myself or for two hundred dollars i can just order all of the mounts and they'll show up at my house and i just go boop and then the motor's in the that's top. what i would do i know but it just seems like less of a why do i want to suffer <laughs> <laughs> right that's kind of what it comes down to right why do i why I, do i want to suffer you know part of it is i'm sure you had this build planned out in your head for 20 years and there's even think so this is a hydraulic clutch right so the the o2o which is the standard five-speed style trans transmission from 1998 and earlier unless okay. you had a vr6 right you could get an o2a or I think, you know, I don't remember if 16 valves had O2As or not. I don't think so. Some of the synchros had like an O2A with a with an output, output shaft, shaft, output shaft situation yep. going on. Um, and then there was O2A and O2J, which are a new style transmission. I think the Corrado's actually had the O2, O2A. And those are, it's a hydraulic instead of a cable clutch. So okay. when you push on the pedal, the clutch pedal, it actuate, actuates a hydraulic cylinder, yep. which and then, then you have pushes. The master, and then you have the slave cylinder. And it pushes the pressure, the pressure <clears> plate off the clutch, disengages the transmission from the engine, and that's when you shift, and then you release it, releases the fluid, boom, done. Right. But guess what? Rabbit doesn't have uh, uh, any way to actuate a hydraulic cylinder. because Right, all it's cable. cable. It's just a cable. As it should be, Chris. As well. As God intended. Technically, yes. But I really like the the feel of a cable because you can feel what you're doing. Yeah. You can feel the spring, and it, and it feels, hydraulic stuff always feels a little goofy. Agreed. Um, I think As evidenced by the 996. Yeah, it feels... Awful. That one has a pressure accumulator too, just to which is another. Is it trying to give it a feel? Is it trying to? No, it's it's the opposite. It's basically trying to make it less because that with the turbo it has a, a basically a beefier clutch than a normal nine nine six. Whatever, it's it's ridiculous. My grandma drove my nine eleven fine. Yeah, and she was. Oh, eight, I agree. She was eighty years old. She's like, yeah, it's no problem. Yeah, she 
did great, better than the rest of my family. You don't need it, but it's probably... But regardless, you don't have as much feel as you would with just a direct connection. Yeah, in terms of... Well, that goes with anything in the car, steering brakes, whatever. Yeah. It's all it's all about feel, and people don't want to feel anything. They just want to drive You know, their washing <laughs> machine to the store, as you would say. Yes. Or their laundry machine, as well, my wife You wouldn't me. have a clutch in an appliance car regardless. That is true. Anyways, so I have to decide, do I want to... If I leave the, you can, I can bolt that five-speed engine that's been in the truck since 1980. Yeah. Bolts up to the 2002 TDI motor. The, oh, so you can just take the old transmission. I, I could. And made it up to the new engine. You can. But. Why wouldn't be, you? Because it will, 50-50 chance that it will blow, blow up. up. <laughs> it'll just, it'll just rip A the A lot more up. power. Just, sure. It's the torque, right? Yeah. Um, like I said, when I, they're, they're fairly weak. When I d- built, um. Jess's engine with the the big you know 16 valve valve, and I revved it once I put the whole motor together revved it once and it ripped all the straps off the pressure plate jeez all three just just, wow because the rev was so fast and so what you have is you have a pressure plate and then you have a pressure um and then you have a spring plate yep and the basically the the pressure plate is held to the spring plate by these little straps and it kind of floats there Right? right, and it just ripped all those options. Just like wow, so they're not strong. Okay, to begin with, you usually have to triple strap the pressure plate. You take them apart. You get three other like you find some bad clutches. Oh, geez. and you take these little straps which hold the the surface to the spring plate. Okay, and you put three of them, and then you red lock tight them together. Okay. And that's what you do. To I keep. can't picture this. Okay, so you okay? Let's let's try. Okay, so you have <laughs> let's try. So you have a flywheel, and in in the fly in between the flywheel is the pressure plate. Right. And then you have the clutch. Right. Right. So when you when you push the um the pressure plate with the clutch, you have a little rod that goes through and it pushes on it and it moves the pressure plate off the clutch. Correct. Off the flywheel. Yes. Right. There's straps that hold that round surface. Oh, okay. to the flywheel to, itself. No, to the pressure plate, to the spring plate. So the surface disc that sits in between, that um, the cl- pushes on the clutch. Yes. Is held to the spring plate, which is the spring that you feel that right. you're pushing on. Yeah. That's, is held by these little metal straps. I gotcha. Okay, and those all So they off. have nothing to do with transmitting the actual power, which is why they're not robust, but... But they do will get some rotational inertia. Oh, for sure. They, you know, yeah, just because they're, they're seeing that much. Right. They do see power, and they do rip. Right, off. but it has nothing to do with transferring power. It's not like you're putting once 200 closed, horsepower once, through those once little that spring pieces. Plate, once that spring plate has closed, right, then it's all it's just not doing anything. Correct. You know, it's that just, was that's where it's I was just confused. when it's like free. Yeah, it's just when it's free. No, that makes sense. Um, so anyway, so I can. It's, it, it would destroy the transmission. Yep, don't do that. Can't you do some sort of like a uh, cable clutch conversion? You can. Right? And I've thought about just... that. And I've had, I talked to um, Jason at Rotiform. Yep. And we, we talk about some Mark 1 stuff here and there. And he says, oh, I've got some mounts or whatever. We were thinking about trading. I'm going to trade. I might drive down to Wisconsin and buy a bunch of cheese and trade cheese for engine mounts. He's like, oh, you're in Minnesota. Give me cheese. I'm like, dude. Wait, really? Yeah. There's no cheese in Minnesota. Sure there's there no is. Cheese. No, not really. Now you got to go to Wisconsin <laughs> and get cheese. It's the, yeah, you you got to go to Wisconsin. Know, so anyway, but he also has the, I think he has the, the cable <laughs> conversion. And he has that in his Scirocco. If you've ever seen his really awesome wide body Mark I Scirocco. Yeah. It has um, a livery on it too. Yeah, it's like the, the change livery. Yep. Um, it's awesome car. And he has this cable clutch conversion on it. I that think makes sense. From, I think it's from a Eurovan. Okay. Is what it comes from. Because the Eurovan has a cable clutch, but it has an O2A style, O2J style transmission. I know I'm getting in the weeds a little it's bit. It's very, yeah, weedy. Uh, but uh, people say it doesn't feel good. 
Oh, really? They say that it doesn't feel great, that they, it doesn't work that well. So I'm like, ah, because I have the cable box and everything. I just, I want it to all be really nice because I'm going to give the truck back to grandpa. Right. And I don't want him to have to think about, well, this doesn't feel right or that doesn't feel right. Right. But they make all this stuff for the hydraulic clutch where it just bolts to the pedal. Might as well just do I that. I know. It's, it's too, almost too easy. <laughs> just no you're gonna have plenty to do okay it's, a, it's still a big project you it's, might as well get the off-the-shelf components though to the hardest put, part is gonna be right, well if you up. want more projects come to my house yeah like i want to do like a you can a, do a pinterest board with yeah, me yeah. Do a, a, palette, a frame palette thing with all your cats yeah. on it in the kitchen oh let's do it it'll be <laughs> it'll just be delightful so i got a interesting um question for, on our overcrest inbox on instagram and it's from the reflective refinisher and i thought i would read through it a little bit and then we can discuss it okay it says hi chris and jake had a few experiences last few days that made me wonder i drive a mark ii 20 valve turbo golf daily great car by the way awesome swap i mean if you could do a mark ii which is a little bit better in terms of creature comforts yeah a mark ii is so much better than a mark one okay if, if it's like your daily, a little bit heavier though right it isn't is, that the trade-off it, yes of course and that's that's always how it goes but it's a nicer car the sure door, the door seals are better the wipers work better the hvac is better it's just a it's it is a better car like the mark ii 16 valve i'm surprised those haven't gone crazy in value because they are awesome yeah and I know Mark 1's the original hot hatch that everybody's has huge erections over right now, but um, <laughs> watch for Mark II 16 valve GTIs and GLIs to go up. I think that's the next thing. I think they're going to start going Did they crazy. ever put, when did the VR6 come out? Then I, because I keep. 1990. Mark III, though. No, right? the Corrado was first. Did they ever have them in the Mark II? No. Okay. No. They never, but question. they do bolt in. I have had a couple of them. I've seen a bunch of them, yeah. so that's why I didn't I have know one if with they Shrek 276 cams. Yeah. Ooh, I think that was the hotness. Yeah, sweet. it was great. Um, he says, I drive a Mark II 20 valve turbo golf daily. Other motorists, red twats, have <laughs> 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 nearly taken me out through their distracted driving. How do you feel about driving something like your Porsche, given on how valuable it is? And two, you are the crumple zone. Do you just have to have shit hot insurance, both vehicular and medical, or just hope never to uh, have to find out? I firmly believe that cars should be used, but the last few days have given me pause. Would be interested to hear you and Jake's opinion on this. Is the risk worth reward? Um, I probably still say yes. There's nothing I've driven makes me smile uh, like my Wii Golf. Kind regards, AL. So it's a good question, and I compare it to riding a motorcycle. Because riding a motorcycle, you're much more out in the elements. You talk about crumple zone. There is none, right? Right. And with motorcycle driving, there is this concept of defensive driving. It's basically you have to pretend like you're invisible and not rely on anyone else around you to see you or act with any sort of care. Right. And you basically pretend you're invisible and drive accordingly. So if someone's going to merge over, you assume they don't see me. So I'm going to either slow down or get the hell out of their way. And I do kind of operate in that mindset when I'm driving any car, but especially the old 911 as well. So it's, it's head on a swivel when you're on a motorcycle. It, yeah, it really is. And you kind of just have to be the same way. And it's tough to stay that vigilant all the right. time when you're in a car and you're driving around and you're listening to music and whatever. Well, it's, the old 911 doesn't even have a stereo in it. Oh, mine does. Yeah. It's, but it's, it's tough to stay it vigilant. Is for sure. To, to have that kind of focus. Uh, obviously, life is fraught with risk, right? It I mean, is. Life is it, yeah, like risk. like he kind of mentioned, it's, it's a trade-off, right? Yeah, life is full of trade-offs. I mean, it's... We're, you know, doing all kinds of trade-offs in, in, in life today with risk. Right? Yeah. We're all gauging, should we go see other people? Should we drive our cars? You know, there's all kinds of risk in life. Yeah. You just have to choose the ones that matter to you. You don't want to go through your life taking every risk possible. You have to kind of mitigate 
risk, right? You have to choose <laughs> choose the ones that are important. It to reminds you. me of that stupid rom com from the early two thousands. Along came Polly. Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch that? No. Maybe. He's a, he's an insurance risk mitigator or something. Okay, and he lives his life basically assessing every risk ever. <laughs> and then this girl comes along who's just like super flighty. Just blows his life up. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what we all need is a girl yeah. to blow our lives um, up. Another thing, another point with this though, is you can you can make your car more noticeable. Yeah, you can loud pipes save lives. Basically right? just, loud pipes I save lives. Yeah, I don't really have much issue with people driving into me or not seeing my car. My car, people think an early 911 is bigger than it is. It is a very small it's car. Very small. It's very, very small. Um, but they're mine's loud, so I think people just mine hear is it. also visually loud. It is very bright orange. color. Yes, I wonder what color his golf is. I wonder where he lives too. He's, I, mean, I think, in the UK. Well, I don't think that we have great drivers over there anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into a little bit of news, why don't you tell us a little bit about Akin? Akin driving gear was founded by true enthusiasts who create everyday gear that celebrates the very act of driving itself. Most actual like racing driving shoes are terribly uncomfortable and to ugly. wear. And, and ugly. ugly I, just, I see guys walking around. I'm probably picking on somebody right now. They're going to hate me. But you see these guys walking around at car shows. Yeah. And they have like Puma Formula One driving shoes. Yeah, on. like the high top. Yeah, and, and yeah. they're they're basically at Luft walking around for like 12 hours on these shoes. And they get home and they're just like, and they're like crawling into bed as their yeah, ankles are Yeah, that's not just, what you want to do. No. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a shoe that's actually good for driving, just for driving every day. And that's what Akin wanted to do. Put simply, the Shift driving shoe, that's the model of shoe, is a modern sneaker for those who love to drive. Features a rounded heel for that heel-toe comfort, moving on the pedals. It has that heel-toe guard on the side of it to prevent scuffing. Uh, It's high quality leather as well and they're very comfortable i'd like to have a brown pair so we need to get the word from them they are i last i talked to them because it's a local company which is also cool small company support these guys uh but i did talk to them they said they're gonna come out with a new line all right that's the one i'll try then you wear them you said you like them yeah i like them i'm I'm wearing them right now i'm waiting for a brown yeah so check them out um and they also have cool t-shirts and other apparel as well at akingear.com, A-K-I-N gear.com. Use the code OVERCREST as well, and that'll get you free priority shipping in the U.S. And I, I asked him the other day, I go, akin, where did that come from? And he goes, well, it's the word akin, likeness, right? right. So akin is likeness. The whole concept is there's a lot of different car guys out there, but we all have this kinship that sure. brings us together. And so that's kind of what their brand is about. Except for the camera gang. We don't hang out with those guys. Or, as we'll talk about later, bro-dozers. Oh, okay. All right, so the uh, the NHTSA is developing a new system of rules and regulations for autonomous manufacturers. Now, this is something that we've been waiting for, right? Because yeah, there should been, be some sort of standard. It, it's been the wild, wild west, to say the least, with all the different names for everything, with the, with the super cruise, adaptive cruise, you know, the autonomous driving, level five, level three, level two, level one, level thousand, whatever. It's just, there's so many terms out there and there's so right. many different variations of all well, of that. Well, that and it's all like marketing speak at this point. Right. Right? Here's the thing. They want you to tell them what to do. The NHTSA is requesting comment on the development of a framework for automated driving systems, ADS, safety. The framework would objectively define, assess, and manage. This is from their website, by the way. That's why it's so dry and awful. Uh, The safety of ADS performance while ensuring the needed flexibility to enable further innovation. AG and CNC can draw upon existing federal and non-federal foundational efforts, tools, and blah, 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 blah. They're speaking specific feedback feedback on key components that can meet the need for motor vehicle safety while enabling innovative designs, blah, 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 in a manner consistent with who cares. All right. Um, honestly, 
I give big kudos to any government agency that admits that they don't know what they're doing. Is that what this is? Pretty much. They said, we don't, they're saying, we don't know what regulations what should regulations be. We should, we don't they're know not regulations, standards. but standards. They don't know what right. standards there this should is, be. They're admitting this is completely uncharted territory. Which they it is. They don't know. For sure. So, um, NHTSA's focus is on four key areas of ADS use and development. Sensing, which is how ADS receives information from its environment. Uh, perception, how it ADS recognizes road signs, other cars, pedestrians, weather conditions, you know, everything that's out on the road. Right. Uh, planning, how ADS determines the route it will take based on the above conditions. Interesting. And control, how ADS actually carries out the actions it has decided on. I've never thought of how the computer processes it as planning. But I suppose it is. It you to. have all this input, and somehow there's some algorithm that says, if X, Y, Z, and all this parameters do this. Right. It has to have, the, the software has to have rules built in, too. Right. That are saying, well, you know, it, it always says, if you're going to hit four children or three, <laughs> yeah. which do you choose? Yeah. There's and a name for someone, that thought experiment. I someone has to, yeah, it's like a railroad experiment. The trolley, it's, yeah. Yeah, where there's there's a, you know, a family on a trolley or your child on a trolley, which do you save? You know, it's, there's all kinds of moral choices. It's mine. Maybe, but someone has to write that code. Exactly. Right? So the NHTSA wants to know your thoughts on its proposal, as well as any lingering concerns you might have. If you've ever had a strong thought about autonomy, now's the time to be heard. Did it say that? Yes. So anybody. Wow. Can, yeah, you can go to regulations.gov, follow the online instructions for submitting comments, or you can mail them, or you can have it hand delivered via courier to the U.S. Department of Transportation, West Building, Ground Floor, W, blah, 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 or you can fax it. So my question is, how many couriers have you sent so far? I, <laughs> you know what I should do is I should hire a, uh, a guy to go sing a telegram at the uh, U.S. Department of Transportation. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And film it. <laughs> Excuse me, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. I have many thoughts. Okay. On... Okay. No? okay. Okay. That's okay. not it. We're not sending you. Oh. All right, go ahead. All right, so as I alluded to before about uh, what do you think is this? Sorry, what do you think is the most important thing that these that should be regulated with this? Um, truth in claims, basically, right? Because there needs to be some sort of accountability in saying, "Well, I'm Elon Musk, and my cars drive themselves. You don't have to do anything." Yeah, there. You're so what you're asking for is a definition of that, exactly. Right? So, yes, I suppose defining and how, putting parameters around that. How are companies going to have innovation? How is Tesla going to be able to innovate something new and advance the technology if there is a box put forth by the government to say, the technology that you develop has to fit within this box? That that really does cut the legs off the ingenuity of what people might think or want to do. I understand what you're saying, and I'm trying to think of an analogy with any other industry, but it really is so uncharted that it doesn't apply to other industries. I I don't think we should be regulating it quite yet. Really? I, I don't think we're there. I don't think that there's enough of these cars out there. There's not enough data, which is why I think they're doing this. Yeah. Because they're kind of like, I don't know. We're just in this little <laughs> what, what do we do? We're, we're paddling around the ocean. Which way do we go? Yeah. So they're probably going to just kind of aggregate and find out what, what human beings that actually live on the road, citizens, are worried about. Although I wish they would take more input from experts. I don't know that Joe down the street in his F-150 with the rusted out rocker panels. What's he going to say? 
I just damn, we shouldn't have them at all. That's exactly what you're saying. No, that's not <laughs> what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. All right, go ahead. All right, so a new study by the EPA found that just over half a million diesel pickups on the road in the U.S. have been producing 9 million trucks worth of excess emissions. Half a million <laughs> pickups on the road have been causing 18 times as much pollution. So there's 500,000 trucks that are rolling coal? Yes. So Come I was going to say, what is the reason for this? Literally for rolling coal. There can't be that many chipped trucks out there rolling coal. They said it's actually more than that. Come on. Yep. 500,000 dudes are rolling coal? There's 9 million trucks out there. One eighteenth of all the diesels out there are chipped. That makes sense. We're, this, no, this says the U.S. have been producing 9 million trucks worth of excess emission. It doesn't say there's 9 million diesel trucks out there. Oh, you're right. Regardless, it's a lot of rolling coal. It is. Well, 500,000 trucks rolling coal is a lot. Could you imagine them all rolling coal at the same time? <laughs> so according to EPA's new report, the modified trucks in the study released 570,000 tons of nitrogen dioxide into the air over the lifetime of the vehicles, which is 10 times the pollution released by all the diesel, or all the diesel Volkswagens that was part of Dieselgate. So put that into perspective. They're so concerned okay, and ruined Volkswagen over this. And yet the guy's rolling coal, is that's it five, 10 times. Is it 500,000 chipped trucks, modified trucks, or are we just talking about diesel trucks in general? Okay, if you read the article, it actually does somehow figure out how many there are modified. Okay, so it is, we're talking about modified trucks. Yes. We're not talking about nope, stock No, this isn't guys. just stock diesels. Okay. Yeah, it... Uh, Quote, this is far more alarming and widespread than the Volkswagen scandal. International Council of Clean Transportation Executive Director Drew Kojak told the New York Times. I'm sure you and him would get along. Drew Kojak. Yeah, I bet. The EPA has been cracking down on numerous aftermarket diesel tuners as well, which have been hit with huge fines for making illegal soot belching mods. There's like... Is that their words? No. Suit belching mods. No, that, was, that was my words. Oh, um, but I remember there was a story a while back, like one of the big companies, Diesel Brothers, like they got a huge fine, yep. exorbitant. Destroyed their company. Did you know that as a result of stuff like this and that huge fine, APR doesn't do any like stage three. They don't do downpipes anymore. Oh, really? A lot of these tuning companies are kind of being like, yeah, yep. not worth it. Not worth it. I don't want to be fined a billion dollars. Wow. That's ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for people being able to do what they want with their own vehicles and property. But this whole rolling coal phenomenon is, in my opinion, the stupidest fad or facet of the automotive world. And here's why. So okay. excessive black smoke and diesel exhaust is an effect of overfueling or basically running extremely rich. That's and how you do it. And hot. It's more to do with overfueling. Yeah, but it's also EGT temperatures go through the roof when you're doing Right, that. because you're dumping raw fuel. Right. Yeah. Yes. Now... While many will argue that this is done in order to increase power, they're looking for power, so you just add more fuel, it, simply put, is just poor tuning. Right. So look at our friend Scott Birdsall, his race truck, Old Smokey. If you watch the videos of that thing, it sure, it puts out a little more smoke than like a gas-powered truck or whatever else. Yeah, but, but it's not... If it drives by a Prius, the Prius does not disappear. <laughs> exactly. And that thing's making 2,000 horsepower, Chris. So the bro down the street who's making, you know, like 200 horsepower out of his big truck does not need to have plumes of smoke to, quote, make more power. Do you know where the entire rolling coal phenomenon started? I do not. In my opinion? Where? Is that internet video where the dudes drive up to the girl and go... Do you like to smoke or do 
do you have a smoke? And she goes, yeah, I do. And she starts to reach into her purse and, and, they, just, and they destroy her with, there's, with black soot. There's that was so many ago. of those videos Yeah, but there was there. one. I, I mean, I feel like that was it. I spent a lot of time on YouTube after reading this. Yeah. I was going to find some sound effects and it's not worth including. But yeah. there's, believe me, it's a phenomenon. But I know, but I feel like that was kind of the start of I it. don't think that's or the, the first. Or they did it to a Prius and that was kind of it. No, it, I think where it all came from is the old 6BT Cummins engine. The way you would, because it was all mechanical, as you love your old diesels, you know all about this. It's There's no electronics. It's mm -hmm. all mechanical. So the way you would try to add more power, since there's no throttle valve, yep. you would actually just crank the, the fuel pressure uh, pump. Yeah, the fuel screw. You just turn the fuel screw up. Right. And so that adds more fuel, and it does give you a little more performance. Right. But with any modern truck out here now... You don't need to do this. You don't do that. Yeah, it's... I'm torn between uh, just let the guys do what they want with their truck. And, oh, my God, this is a the problem, gratuitous amount of pollution. Yeah. And also, if you go on YouTube and just type in rolling coal, it's out of hand. Like, again, I don't care that much. But when you see how these guys are like, it was, it was getting bad. Like, any protest, these guys are calling on groups of trucks to get together. And they'll sit at stoplights and just try to disperse crowds by rolling coal on the corner. Yeah, it's, it's just it's kind of cancerous, isn't it? It, it yeah, is. It's, it's a bad deal. Yeah. And it gives everyone a bad name. So Volkswagen has shuttered its motorsport division. They basically killed off any racing, Chris. This is really sad news from Wolfsburg and basically a sign of changing times. So, quote, the Volkswagen brand. Do you know what their, is, their moniker now is now? Their tagline? What? Do you remember when seeing commercials on TV? Volkswagen. The people's car. No, that was 60, <laughs> that was, 70 years ago. That was, <laughs> nope, nope. What was, was it? It is Volkswagen. Drive bigger. What? That's it. Volkswagen. Drive bigger. That's their, that's their thing. Drive bigger. Bigger? Drive bigger. What does that mean? I don't know. I, I think it's about... They're trying to make your life bigger, and it's, it's I, I don't know, drive bigger. That doesn't seem very efficient either. No, it's Okay, it's well, anyways, quote, the Volkswagen brand is on its way to becoming the leading provider of sustainable e-mobility. To uh. this end, we are pooling our strengths, and we have decided to terminate the Volkswagen brand's motorsport activities, said Frank Welsh, the head of the company's development and efforts in a statement. Enthusiasts are still going to be able to purchase spare parts for their factory-built race cars. The, I was trying to think, what are they actually doing in motorsport now? They had cup. They had, like, uh, club races, and they had... Um, it's it's spec, a lot of... They had spec races is what they had. Well, a lot of it lately has just been world rally cars. Okay. Okay, so the Polo GTI R5 yep. and Golf GTI TRC. I don't know what Everyone TRC the new stands for. came out? Yeah, they, they had one of those. I remember that. seeing one of those. No, I saw it at Bathurst Racing. It looked oh, wow. Awesome, like, wide body. That was one car it's a good-looking car. sad that we never got that I one. know. How dumb are regulations that is, it is the car that just looks a little different on the outside. But I yet, know. no, you can't bring it in just because it's, it has a different name and different I'm sure fenders. there was more to the there decision isn't. there. No, there's not. It's they the, could have spent the money to basically get it certified, but there was some equation that said, well, it probably won't sell enough to make up for all of our costs and efforts. Right. Jerks. So, anyways, um, this is, of course, also scrapping the recent IDR project as well, which was their electric race car that went up Pikes Peak and set the record back in the day. Yeah. That was just last year, I yeah, think. Yeah, that, that thing was awesome. But my bigger concern with all this, Chris, is not about Volkswagen's motorsport involvement, because as I mentioned, it's it, they're not doing much. It's the fact that larger shift in the industry is happening. So, aside from one make series, you can't go racing by yourself. Here's, you need competition. Here's the thing. The coronavirus hurt all of these manufacturers. Yeah, so they're trying to just they're, trim the fat. They're mortally wounded. 
Yeah, yeah, they lost billions and billions and billions of dollars. So what's happened is what was going to happen like five, seven years from now has kind of just been like, well, let's just do that now. We have yeah. an excuse. It's the same reason that the 24-hour Walmart now closes at 10. Because they can. They're saving money by not having the store open. They can just have employees yeah, stock the shelves. Whatever. There's all Or Amazon Prime. There's no reason they can't do two-day shipping. Just do the two-day shipping. Just just do it. But is, that now, a, is that a thing? No, Amazon Prime is now whenever it gets there. It's just, it says Prime, but it comes in five days. Oh. Three I days, four days. That. It's all these different things that are happening. Not in that big of a rush to get whatever stupid know, thing I'm ends just, up on I my doorstep. I just noticed. I'm yeah, just no. Noticed, I, right? It's obviously and, changes. And, and, and it has become like this this excuse. You know, you call, like I called. I, uh, I wouldn't say an excuse, but I'd say I called up Apple. Okay. I'm working on a laptop, on an iPad right now as I do the podcast because my right. computer's gone. Sent my computer in and they said, we're having a lot of delays because of the coronavirus. I'm like, what? Are all are all the computers getting sick? Like, I don't understand <laughs> what is going on. Are, are, the, are there more computers breaking because of this thing? I, it's, it's baloney, right? It's, it no, is absolutely baloney. Let me tell you what's actually happening because I have talked to a lot of contractors about this too is first of all at least in the phenomenon I had some floor that I wanted repaired here in my house and so they said well we have twice as much work now because everyone's sitting at home and wants to do home renovation projects and we have half the amount of workers because at any given time half of our workers have some sort of exposure and have to quarantine by their own regulations right they can't have other employees that are have been sick in connect in contact with their crew so just like any of these other companies or repair workshop facilities i'm assuming at apple i don't understand why half, don't they half just... the employees are having to stay off and be quarantined for two weeks just at a time give them a mask and fix my computer that's what i want <laughs> that's that's all then your computer do. will get sick chris yeah, that's just what i need all right well anyways as i was saying you know we're seeing all these manufacturers pulling out of motorsport and it's basically one less reason for other manufacturers to stay and invest in motorsport. Right. Well, if they're pulling out, we're not going to have it's, as much competition. There won't be as much of a spectacle. People won't be tuning in. Well, case in point, BMW announced Wednesday it will end its participation in the Formula E championship after the 2021 season. This announcement comes just days after Audi also announced it will quit Formula E after the 2021 season. So is, Formula E was supposed to be kind of, we don't like it, but everything's moving to Formula E. This will right. be the new motorsport. Now it's this sad. isn't even Well, happening. the thing is, is that it was supposed to, Formula E was supposed to be this transition thing between combustion engine racing and the future right right exactly but then coronavirus happened and formula e wasn't doing that great to begin with but it was always kind of there as like this marketing tool of what could be yep it's just not needed anymore because everybody's just saying eh, screw it we're just gonna make the id3 and everybody can just drive those around and they don't need to race them we don't need to prove yeah. we don't need to prove anyone to anything to anyone anymore nobody's looking at our racing heritage and going well uh, they were doing rally over in yeah, England. Yeah, certainly not Volkswagen. No, no that makes all. sense. But it's a little sad that like Audi pulled so out, BMW pulled out. Yeah, but you've got massive uh, race heritage companies like Ferrari and Porsche and yep. um, not really Lamborghini, but you've got all these elite companies that really depend on their heritage to sell cars. Right. Are they just going to be like, well, we just don't have anything else to prove. We want everything. Is that, I mean, what? how else? You can't I continue? would love to see... Um, manufacturer-backed vintage racing more. If they're going to rely on their heritage, they should double down on that and somehow really amp up and sponsor vintage races where it's like all you, all the Muras are out on the track and you get to see that. And then all their new cars are right in front. Right. That yeah. would be cool to see. And it would cost less than a full-blown like racing team. 
Well, they, I mean, I think they probably do some of that. I know Porsche Classic is really involved in the, yeah. in the vintage racing scene and stuff like that. I don't think it's to the extent. I don't know. Maybe it'll be more popular about. if there's nothing else out there. Before we get on to the next thing, why don't you tell us a little bit about Patreon? That's right. Head over to patreon.com slash overcrest. For as little as five bucks a month, you can support the show. We have some awesome content out there. You have exclusive. Uh, There's all kinds of exclusive stunt stuff. You can support the show. That's the big thing. But why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the folks that have signed up? That's I just want to right. thank some people by name. And you guys are awesome. Big shout out to these guys. Yeah. So um, in the last few months, we've had Brian Lindgren, Alex Grant, Michael Vaccaro, Juan Cruz, Jacob Milliner, Jonathan Dixon, Bjorn Vick, Andrew Smith, Harry Tenenbaum, John Meyer, Christopher Shaw, Brent Dolan, Brian Johnson, Andy Belay, and Stefan Warner. You guys are awesome. This is Thank you so much. This news episode, obviously, is is brought to you by our patrons and a can too, of course. But we really, really appreciate you guys supporting the show. I've actually got a... Uh, I'm going to drop a... Is it... Dece- it's the beginning of December. I'll drop this. I'll do it in the next couple of days. Um, so I wrote an article for... Did I already talk about this? I don't know. On, on a 356 from Russia. Right? You... I know about it, okay. but I don't know if so our listeners do. This is great. This, so I, I was at Luft. We, yeah, we came across this at Luftkakul last well, year. Well, Pete from Triple Zero came up to me. He said, hey, Chris, I've got a great story for you. And you have no idea how many times I've heard, I have a great story for you. <laughs> it is, it is, I hear it all the time. Oh, I've got a great car. There's a, when it comes from Pete Stout at Triple Zero, it's a, you, it's you gonna take be, it. it's gonna be a great story. But I hear that all the time. Oh, I've got this great car. And so I'm like, oh yeah, right. What is it? He's like, it's the only green uh, 73 RSR. And I go, who cares? Well, there's like a 20 word article. Yeah. Hey guys, this is the story of the only green version of this car Look, that ever existed. Yeah. It's green. And what am I supposed to, it was as green as a cucumber. As it said. I'm like, what am I supposed to write about? This doesn't make any sense. Anyway, so this car, and just give you like this little truncated part of the story. And I'm going to throw this up on Patreon. Um, oh, awesome. My interview with, with the guy, with, with one of the guys. So okay. it was a dude named Edward and this, and you, if you don't sign up, if you don't have triple zero, this is not an ad. Okay. They right. don't support the show. Um, although Pete does like the show. Pete approached me at, uh, at Lyft. And he said, Hey, I've got this great story for you. You need to check this out. Go talk to this guy. Okay. And I didn't know what it was. He says, you got a 356. And of course I'm like, uh, I'm some push rod 356 that great. How many of those can there be? Right. Story, You're thinking, why so I go this? over, I see this car. It's like peeking out of this alleyway, kind of on the sidewalk. It's red. I'm like, oh, it's red. It's a hard top. Cool. Like, you know, I'm already kind of like, yeah, it a little it's bit. different. I don't like the convertibles. I like the coupes, the hard tops. I like those much, much better. Start talking to the owner. He pulls out this binder, right? He pulls out this okay. binder from the car. And uh, I start paging through it. And it was this dude named Edward Salkin, is the guy that bought this car from the factory in Stuttgart. So he, and he was in the military in Germany. So he bought this car and he goes, you know what? I think I'm going to go drive around the Soviet Union. <laughs> this is a big deal because this and is what, right. This what is what era was this? 1961, 59, okay. kind of in this. So st- this is right when Stalin left power. Wow. Okay, Stalin left power and then Khrushchev came and took over from him. And be- prior to him, there was no tourism. None. I mean, it okay. was none. They wouldn't, it was against the law to marry anyone that wasn't a Soviet citizen. It was wow. very, very strict. I mean, the, the communism, like, the spiritual side of communism is everything was very real. Khrushchev opened up tourism. Wow. They went from zero tourists to a million tourists in like two years. Really? And they did these cool driving tours. So you could go and you could go through the German, uh, the German Russian, what's it called? The embassy or yeah. whatever. You could, the consulate uh, in, probably. In East Germany. Yep. You know, you go to the consulate or wherever. And they had to drive all the way up into Finland. 
uh, go north across the the sea to Finland, driving to Russia that way because you couldn't get a visa in Czechoslovakia. They oh, wouldn't give you wow. one as an American. So he had like military plates on his 356, drove to Leningrad, Moscow, and he went with his buddy named Alfred. Okay. And uh, and they also had a woman that escorted them because you had to have an escort. So this woman <laughs> uh, went with them and they toured the Soviet Union. And here's the deal. The, when the guy bought the car, the guy passed away. Okay. And he had no family. Okay. So they, this other dude ended up buying this car and they had a, a, a box full of like paperwork and photos and everything. So he, the guy took a Leica camera with him that he bought in Germany. Wow. And took a zillion photos. So we, we scanned in all the slides and got all these photos up. It's like a 40, 50 page article of all these photos of all these like young kids, like from the Soviet Union looking at this Porsche, which is like the first Porsche ever to be in the Soviet Union. Wow. Imagine all these like shitty Russian, <laughs> like they look like 50, like bad versions of 50s cars from America. Right. And then there's this red hardtop 356. Just yeah. boom, this just color. So different I mean, and new. If it was any other color, it probably would have really popped. But red was a very popular color in the Soviet Union at oh, that time. Well, obviously. <laughs> yes, I wonder why. Anyway, it's a great story. Um, I just finished writing it. It's going to be in the next issue of Triple Zero. But I, so his, Edward's buddy, Alfred. Yeah. Oh, I'm running out of time here. We have another interview in like six minutes. I'm I know. So we have, uh, anyway, I find, I find the guy, he's the guy that owned the cars, passed away. Right. But the guy that went with him. His friend. I found him. I researched the hell out of this. I found him and interviewed him about the trip that they took in the Soviet Union. And I'm going to release that interview for our Patreons. That'll be You can get access to that in like 15 or 20 other exclusive episodes for $5. Don't be a freeloader. Support the show and get some great stuff. That's all I got for you. We will see you guys on Monday. And on Monday, we have uh, Daryl, who is the uh, communications director at ChargePoint. Right. And we're going to talk all about infrastructure because I have questions. Yes. How are all these electric cars getting charged? What's going to happen? We've got a lot of that going on. All right, guys. We will see you on Monday. Take care.